Yo, what's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of NT Raw Podcast. We are about three weeks away from our Pacific Coast trip. Caleb McCoy, Caitlin, Res Hope, and NC Raw. We are heading out west. Uh, Caleb has decided to tackle another um, long-distance challenge. He wants to cycle and run the entire Pacific Coast. And so we're taking the show on the road. We're going to be documenting it both audibly through this podcast and also visually uh, on a daily vlog. So uh, exciting things to happen. I've only got like two or three more shows before we head out. Um, And I'm not booking anybody for that like six weeks that we're going to be gone. I don't have anything set in stone. However, we are still going to bring you a weekly podcast from the road. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we are looking for potential sponsors. If somebody's interested in sponsoring a leg of the trip or contributing um, to this type of this type of work and this type of like uh, mission work, uh, you can contact Caleb through Facebook Messenger, Caleb McCoy, or you could also check out our Patreon page at NC Raw, or I'm sorry, Patreon.com/slash NC Raw. Uh, and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And I think you might be even be able to make like one time contribution sort of things because we do need some we do need some resources. We do need some help as far as logistics and gas money, food, stuff like that. So if something you're interested in, just check out the page or uh, hit up Caleb and see what we can't work out. Today's guest, man, what a conversation. Um, this dude left an imprint on me. Uh, I can definitely clearly say that he lived up to the hype. His name has come up multiple times in conversations on the podcast, and I was excited to get to know him. Um, I totally enjoyed talking with him, both before the show, during the show, and after the show. He stuck around, and the dude is wise to his to his years, man. He really, he really, really left an imprint on me and kind of like, opened my perspective on ways that I can personally grow in my recovery and share some valuable skills uh, with me, stuff that I can kind of begin to apply and have begun applying to my life today, the day after this, the recording of the podcast. Mr. Jeremy Stalls sits down with me to talk about his process of recovery, to talk about spiritual practice. It was just an awesome conversation. I learned a ton from this dude. So um, I'm very excited to get to know him uh, further and and build that relationship and kind of grow together because he's just an awesome cat. So give some love to Mr. Jeremy Stalls. I'm just an individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal, used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life, is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult, timing is everything, so my timing is critical, rhyming is literal, the unforgettable, it's why I stand before you impeccably so presentable, I give respect to you, know that I am respectable, I've always wanted acceptance, 
that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional. And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional. I am incredible, Leo conventional. And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Mr. Jeremy Stalls. Hello, sir. What's happening, man? Another day. Another day. Glad to be here. I appreciate the invite. It is amazing to finally meet you. I have, um, I was telling you before we started, you're somebody that's been on my radar for a long time. But you're also somebody that has been name dropped quite a bit on this podcast. You got a lot of people rooting for you, man. Yeah, um, I'm lucky as far as the relationships that I have. I mean, it's I make uh, cultivating relationships a pretty high priority in my life, and it's it's paid off with the quality of people that mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough to have in my corner. Yeah, I'd like to ask you right out of the gate because you mentioned that, and because that to me that's also like a priority in both my just in my recovery, but also just in life in general. Something that I've always been well at is um, when did that, in your lifetime, like when did you recognize the importance of it? Was that something that you were always kind of skilled at, is like creating and and cultivating those authentic relationships and like understanding the the purpose behind them and why it's such a priority? I mean, if we're talking genuine relationships, I mean, it was... um, I was always somewhat charismatic, um, even in active addiction. I was, you know, but it, it certainly it was anything but genuine. It was I recognized it immediately when I got to recovery for the first time. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. It was just I think when I showed up. I had been living in the darkness for so long and I saw the light in everybody's eyes. And I just wanted every, I wanted to tap into whatever it was they had tapped into. And it, so it, it just kind of happened organically. It wasn't like, a, it, I never really put any thought into it. It was just something that happened when I got here. So when you showed up, it just kind of became a part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's something I do well. And it's, it's definitely paid off for me for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was later on when I started to experience the benefits of it, that I was able to make a conscious decision, like, hey, this is something I need to continue to do and make sure that I'm always investing energy into you know, cultivating new uh, connections and relationships. Yeah, For me, it's like somewhere, it's something that goes so far outside of my fellowship or outside of the rooms, is that like anywhere that I go, it's important for me to not just say hello to somebody, but just to like show them that kind of like attention. I'm curious. I'm fascinated with people. I'm fascinated with people's stories. I'm fascinated, fascinated with 
how people got to where they are in life and why they view the world the way they do. Like what influenced their life to make them see things the way that they do. Yeah. Because I want to know, right? And that's what we're tapping into, right? The human mm-hmm. connection. You know, I tell whether it's at work or guys I sponsor or whatever, man, recovery is all about connection. You know, and and not just like you said, people in the rooms and you know, it serves a purpose professionally. I mean, you're a great example. You know, you cultivate relationships with people that you probably wouldn't otherwise get to know very well. Yeah. You know, there's no boundaries. Yeah, none. Um, but however, like you said, um, the importance of connection, right? And like, I hear that often, right? In these circles, in these in these worlds that we run, there's a lot of if I could be honest, there's a lot of buzzwords, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And that's one of them, it is. right? And it there's is. people who say it, it is. that don't actually live it, that don't actually do it, that don't actually practice it. And it's not a focal point of like their process, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I hear like, I'm the type of person that I tend, have always tended to like do things differently. I think differently. I try to like, I don't take the traditional path, right? I'm like one of the trailblazers that likes to create my own path. And so things in my life, things in my recovery that are important to me, and now they have become these kind of buzzwords, you know, like mindfulness practice, things like that. When I first started doing this stuff, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so, it wasn't like, you know, the coolest thing to do in the world. And so I was kind of like rebellious of me to like do something different. Yeah. You know, it's like recovery community trends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I just know for me, like the connections, when I show up to a meeting, it's important that there's a good number of people. It doesn't have to be everybody. And realistically, it's not going to be everybody, but there's a good number of people that I consistently feel a meaningful connection with not just hey what's up how's it going that's cool too but i need those deep meaningful connections that that come with purpose you know and that's what i mean when i say that because like that's what that's one of the things that roots me there so when life shows up and pain shows up it doesn't blow me out the door because i have some deep meaningful connections why would i want to leave this is where I find my meaning at with these relationships that I've cultivated, but it takes a lot of energy. And people say connections, you know, it takes more for me than just seeing people at meetings. Like I have to invest energy into being a part of their life and hopefully they'll reciprocate, invest some energy being a part of my life. And who knows, we could form this deep, meaningful bond and maybe not, but I have to keep on exploring that and be open to new relationships. And that's what makes you know, that's really served me well in my recovery. And that's what keeps me actively engaged or one of the things that keeps me actively engaged. One of the many tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're from Virginia. I am. How'd you end up in Asheville? Well, um, I actually, I say I'm from, I tell everybody in Asheville, I'm from Virginia beach because I grew up in a town called Portsmouth, which is like a little town. that's really only known for shipyards and heroin, but it's like, 20 minutes from Virginia Beach city and, and limit. You, and you weren't a seaman. No, so. no absolutely <laughs> okay. not. Absolutely not. Uh-huh. And um, so I tell people I'm from Virginia Beach, but um, 
like I said, I initially started participating in recovery there. One of my very, very close friends moved to Asheville. And strangely enough, I always laugh at it now. He was like, yeah, I'm moving to North Carolina. I'm like, why the fuck are you moving to North Carolina of all places? I didn't, I knew nothing about Western North Carolina. You know, I just, I was, you know, I just didn't have the information. And he, he started telling me about this city called Asheville. And he started talking. I was like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. I did a little research. I was like, okay, I, I can see why you're moving there. So he moved and um, series of events followed. I started visiting, so on and so forth. Um, networking here, making connections, fell in love with the area and just had the opportunity to transition down here. And immediately started working. I, I actually, when I moved here, there, um, I started working with Nick gave me a job. Nick Short. Shout out Nick Short. Shout Epi out Nick. Episode 37. Go back and give it a listen. <laughs> Look, I love that you remember the exact episode. I looked it up, bef on. I looked okay. it up before okay. you got here. Yeah. <laughs> I did. You got to have the facts yeah. on deck. Uh, you yeah. have to. Yeah. So yeah, he gave me an opportunity, like literally, you know, I put floors down my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, he just saw something in me and. He plugged me in and... Was that something that you wanted to do? Like, were you would, when you moved, when you left Virginia and you came down here, was it... Did you have the intention Well, to I mean, full disclosure, it was just a means to get me to Asheville. Because yeah. it was on my radar to move here. But, like, I was at this place in my life where I was like, I'm not putting a crowbar on this situation. Like, I want it to happen organically. I'll get there when I get there. I don't want to try to force it to happen, you know, like, with, with a blunt instrument. And, um... Yeah, and he just, we connected and, you know, he told me about this thing he was trying to build, this vision he had, and, you know, he offered me this job. And it wasn't until I started to do it for a little while. In the beginning, it was literally like, I'm going to do this for like 20 minutes and I'm out. And figure something out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the more I did it, the more I started to meet people in the field, um, clinicians and, you know, people from, you know, direct care. I mean, all throughout the industry, I was, it started to appeal to me. You know, and I started to see the need for people that were compassionate and ethical. And it just, I started to pay attention and it piqued my interest. And next thing you know, I'd stuck around for over a year and grown and learned quite a bit and made quite a few connections. Again, it goes back to, I was cultivating connections. This whole night's going to circle back there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the catchphrase for tonight. Uh -huh. Connections. Um, what was life like in recovery? back in Virginia? How did it differ from? Uh, phenomenal. Like yeah. if, um, if it wasn't for people in Virginia beach, Norfolk, Portsmouth, there's no way I'd be where I'm at today. Like they, the, they're the ones that were there when, during my struggling period of recovery. And they're the ones that I wanted to emulate the people that I watched walk through life that showed me what a recovering man and woman looked like. And I still maintain connections there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, they're, I mean, it's still home. I have like two homes and it's been such a gift to come to another area and build another network in recovery. So now I have two, like mm -hmm. I go back to Virginia beach and it's like being home, and, but it was great. It was great there. You know, I had, um, we discussed my previous sponsor. He still lives there. I'm still in contact with him. So it, it was good. It was good. 
So what was the urgency to leave? Just something different? You'd been there your whole life? Well, that, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you, you know, it was important for me. Like I did a lot. I did a lot of inventory on leaving and not leaving. I wanted to make sure I wasn't running, you know, because I'm not big on running. Um, but I built, I had a solid foundation when I moved from there. And just one of the things that I've done in my recovery this time is, when I feel compelled, not compelled, um, when I feel pulled in any direction by my spirit. Intuition. Yeah. I, of course, I process it with the people closest to me. And if they don't tell me that, hey, you're way off, I'm going with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're on, we're on this spiritual path. What else do I have to go on? I'm certainly not trying to run off of this. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, I end up in some crazy spots. Yeah. So usually when my spirit tells me to make a move, I'm I'm going to go for it as long as, like I said, the people that I have those connections with, if I process it through them and they don't tell me it's completely absurd, then I'm going to go with it. And that was one of those situations. And yeah. it, and like I said, I had made a lot of connections here and I had visited here quite a few times in the year leading up to my move. So it just felt right. And I went with it. Yeah. They always say like to trust your intuition, but like so many people get that confused with the emotional relationship or experience. Like, is, are you being driven by your emotions or are you truly being driven by your intuition or your instinct? And like, you kind of hit on, um, pausing and investigating. Yeah. Like what is, are there strings attached? What is it that's leading me or guiding me? Yeah. to this decision. I found that um, a good strategy for me is I feel that initial tug. I recognize it. I'm aware. Okay. Like feels like I'm kind of being something's pulling me in this direction. I just acknowledge it in the beginning and I see if it, I see if it, if it has staying power, if, you know, weeks from now, if I'm still experiencing, then it's time to take a, take a good look at it. my sponsor tells me all the time and he said um and i this is something that i carry with me to this day you know on a spiritual journey like if we ignore that there's going to be some spiritual consequences i mean you know we don't know what that's going to look like but if our spirits you know pulling us telling us to make a shift or make an adjustment in life that something's just not you know conducive with our spirit and we we choose to ignore it, you know, mm -hmm. we're, there's going to be some kind of consequences. Usually for me, it's pain. Bad. Yeah, it's pain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like the old, like, the old adage, like, sleep on it, right? Oh, like, that's where sure. it came from, is yeah. like, because, like, something happens in your brain where you're, like, your brain yeah. can settle. I'm not, a, I'm not a, I don't study neurology, so I don't know anything, but yeah. your, your brain can kind of, like, settle and, like, the emotional whatever yeah. cravings clinging yeah. attachment whatever it is that's forcing it i'll never follow through with an idea that i have on the same day that i have the <laughs> idea but it takes a long time yeah. to learn that yeah. skill dude. it does it does it does and a lot of uh shooting myself in the foot yeah yeah but i'm sure. definitely one that um tends to learn the hard way right and i would say that myself and most people who have experienced substance use disorders tend to act or behave impulsively, right? And so, like, Shocking. something catches my eye, and I and I want it. But I've learned exactly what what you just described to kind of like, kind of invest, just to investigate it, you know. Like, and that's recovery in motion, man. Yeah. You know, it's 
I like you said, it was a, something I had to learn. Yeah, you know, through some some growth and some some lumps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, you've hit on like spiritual practice, spiritual principles. That 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 words come out of your mouth a couple times in a short little conversation tonight. What's that all about, man? What does that mean to you? Well, um, it's a hell of a question, but mm-hmm. and it's something that's it's very important and relevant to me. And um, we talked a little bit before about um, when I got clean this last time. You know, it was something. When was that? Um, March seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. Okay. Um, you know, I'd been coming around for a while. Like I'd put together like a year and then I'd just, I'd go back out and put together another nine months and go back out. And like, I, I was participating, you know, in my recovery. Like I was showing up. I mean, there were, obviously there were some things I wasn't doing. I wasn't invested all the way, which I had to learn. Um, but anyway, when I came back this time, you know, the, the guy I had sponsored me in Virginia was one of the things that he instilled in me. He said, listen, dude, like, you keep putting together this little bit of time and going back out. He he said, man, if if you don't tap, figure out some way to tap into this like inward journey of growth and transformation and exploration and learning how to live in a way that's conducive with your spirit, which is just a fancy way of saying live in a way that makes you feel good inside and doesn't don't not feel like shit all the time. Mm-hmm. He said, you're not you're never going to stay. You know, he said, it's just not going to last. And, you know, one thing that I've learned on my own, it's, I mean, I I share it with people at work. And like I said, guys, I sponsor, you know, a lot of people struggle with, you know, spiritual aspect of the program. I mean, it's recovery is a spiritual journey. I mean, to me, life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But to me, recovery is one of the great spiritual paths of our time. And it, it really is. Um, and it's, you know, I don't complicate any more than like at first I very early on, I was sitting at a, under, I was actually at a camp out in Asheville. I was sitting at this waterfall. I had like 40 days clean. I think I'd just come back from a, a convention in Seattle. So I'd had this like really good series of weeks and um, I was sitting at this waterfall. I just had this feeling of peace that just everything was all right and I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And no matter what unfolded, I was going to be okay. And it, that's when it hit me that, like, that's what I'm trying to tap And into. that's what he was talking about. That's exactly what he was talking about. It, learning to, cult, to nurture that in different ways, different expressions that will allow me to tap into that more frequently. And how do you access it? when you're not at a waterfall, like yeah. learning, teaching yourself sure, how sure. to access it in a traffic jam yeah. or when things are breaking out and chaos is unfolding at work or whatever yeah. the circumstances yeah. are. Yeah. I haven't figured that one out yet. Do you know? Uh, I'll share it with you as soon as we're done. <laughs> yeah. I can't give my secrets away <laughs> yeah. to everybody. No, but, but yeah. yeah, for sure. It, and, and what I found that allows me to do is keep a peaceful baseline. Mm-hmm. Like a sure, sure, dude, I'm cussing at people sometimes. <laughs> I do it. I think I do pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it lets me maintain a peaceful baseline. Man. That was like, your first experience, though, was at outdoors in nature for sure at the waterfall mountains, probably all around. Yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's something to that. You know, that's why I like these wilderness programs are so um, catching fire. And like there's something about 
um, being in, in that type of an environment, right? Where you can like everything, all the chaos in your life, whatever it is, is kind of like left behind and yeah. you're just out there and you can re you realize like how minuscule all those problems are. Yeah. It puts right? things in perspective. I mean, how can you stand out there and not come to the realization that, Hey, it's not about me. It's fucking not, dude. It's not all about me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and it is, it's, a, you know, going out and hiking is a very mindful mm -hmm. exercise. You, you know, as you take each step, you have to be mindful of where you're stepping. And, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, spiritual mm -hmm. traditions surrounding mountains. And yeah. um, the one I like the most, I, I think, and I'm, I'm not a practitioner of Shinto, but they, you know, they revere spirits called Kami and they believe that each mountain is its own spirit. And that's why we get that From. experience when we go up there, we're communing with those spirits. And yeah. like I said, I don't necessarily believe in that, but I find it beautiful. And I think about it when I'm, when I'm up there. Yeah. I live up at the top of Cullowee Mountain. So Western Carolina University and then about 25 minutes up the mountain. It's about 12 miles okay. right at the top of the mountain. Got a decent little view, but it's like off the beaten path, right? There's just nobody around. A couple houses, mostly snowbirds from Florida that vacationers come up throughout the year, but a handful of houses up there, right? Myself and like one or two neighbors. And um, I've been up there since I moved here right out of recovery. It's my family's home my grandparents it's my grandparents retirement home they had both since passed and the house was kind of just up there and I found recovery I was like hey I'd like to come up to the mountains and go to school one thing that I noticed in you know in first the spiritual practice and applying that to my life on a on a daily and consistent basis was that and I can't explain this but like something with just when I'm paying attention right and when I'm just aware of my surroundings, if I'm having a bad day or something is going on, like that mountain will just tell me something. That mountain will, sh it, it will show me something, right? Whether it's like, I'm going, had a chaotic couple of weeks, just a bunch of sorrow, a bunch of loss all at once, like compiling two or three, four, two or three pretty significant events in my life just like hit me like all at once, you know, get home from work about an hour before the sun goes down. I'm like, all right, I just need to get outside and go for a little hike, you know, just go for a little hike around the mountain. And I hear some like, and I was just, I was in a pretty bad mood, difficult mood. And I hear some like rustling in the leaves and I was just like, all right, I didn't even pay it, pay it much attention. It was a good distance ahead of me. There was no concern. I just like was continuing to just kind of like walk and listen to the birds and watch the sunset and just enjoy the moment. I got a couple, a couple feet forward and there's a big old bear and a couple little cubs. But it's like every time something, because I'm paying attention, every time something happens, something, the mountain shows me something like that. And like you, like you were talking about, like it just makes me realize like that bear was a, four or 500 pound bear. I mean, big old mama, right? That like 
all these worries, all these things that I'm stressing about, stressing about are truly meaningless, right? Like here I am, I have one of the most top of a mountain, one of the most beautiful views, like up in nature. I have nothing to complain about, you know, things happened. Some significant change came into my life. It's okay. Yeah, it's going to be all right. It's hard to stay uh, annoyed when you're like in the presence of, uh, majesty yeah, you know yeah, for real like seriously mm -hmm. like it's there mm -hmm. you know you can't ignore it and you know going out and hiking is i mean it's an analogy for life yeah you know you the terrain changes sometimes it's flat easy going sometimes you're going uphill and it's a pain in the ass you re get that point where you're like what am i doing on this path you know i want to just take a right and go this way but you know there's nothing yeah. you know you can judge your progress by you pass other people on the trail and you're looking at them like I'm hiking better than you are <laughs> or somebody passes yeah. you and you're like I'm a like shitty hiker <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's just the analogy keeps going yeah. and going and going yeah, that and I think it's a good metaphor for like the constant change of life yeah. right and to be able to see the seasons and the uphills and downhills and just all those different things is the the flux and the change of these experiences that we have on a daily basis you know it really like puts that in perspective the mountain looks different every time i drive home every time i get up there i see something different you know absolutely constantly changing um upon settling here in Asheville, you started working in the in the field kind of getting your feet wet and mm -hmm. you realize that that's something that you did want to do yeah and i actually um i mean i don't have any problem saying this i don't i certainly it's not coming from any place of arrogance. Like I, I recognized I liked it and I was good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just something I wanted to continue doing. You know, I ended up getting my, uh, went and got my peer support and then I registered with the board working on my CSAC. I'm about to take the test. So that's exciting. Um, yeah. And it's just something that I want to do. Like I said, I stayed with Nick for a while as his vision expanded and I kind of, got the opportunity to make a move and um, into a position that I could be confronted with some new challenges, which is what I was looking for. Um, it would allow me to grow even more. So I, I moved over to Mountain View, which I really like. I'm excited to be over there. This was recently, about a month ago. So I liked, um, I mean, you know how it is in Asheville, you hear particularly in among the treatment industry you hear who's doing what and you know mountain view is always on everybody's radar is like up and coming and you know they're doing real solid work and ethical and you know i knew some people over there i had known ashley and jay and um one of the clinicians is in my supervision group so you know it was a natural move for me natural once, fit yeah yeah once i found out that you know they it was again it goes back to that thing is like, and I want to emphasize, like, this didn't reflect on Nick at all. I just was in that position. I felt like I had grown as far as I was going to grow in the existing structure. He still had plans for growth, but, you know, he's got a lot, you know, he's got a kid coming now, you know, the kid's mm -hmm. about to be born. And I just started feeling that in my spirit. It's time to, you know, make a lateral move somewhere. And again, I, you know, like we already went over, I explored it and let, I sat on it. And then one day the position opened up, I met with Ashley and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. What about like upon moving here, like you said, 
throughout all those trips, I'm sure trips down here prior to moving, I'm sure that you did form and create some of those relationships that we talked about. But what about for your personal recovery side? Like when you first got to Asheville, how did you, how did you find your crew? How did you find your tribe? And like, what, how did that form? I mean, when I first got here, that's all it was about. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, treatment wasn't even on my radar. If you happen to, if I gravitated towards you and you happen to work in treatment, that's fine. That's no different than to being a, a bricklayer. Mm -hmm. It's just your job. Mm -hmm. That wasn't even on my radar yeah. at all. I mean, it was just, I mean, you know how it is. You, you, you gravitate towards certain people, mm -hmm. you know, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, just like I did in Virginia beach, you know, the networking, like, you know, I'd, I'd just see how people are walking through life. And say, this is a dude I want to emulate. Like, I like the way he carries himself. You know, he's got something that I want, you know. And, you know, ask him, how'd you get X, Y, and Z? He'd tell me so I could do those things. Yeah. And, you know, I just spent time and effort. Phone calls, man. Like, the phone is, again, for me, I can't stress enough. Like, I, I, I go to meetings regularly, but the real bonds are forged outside when there's something about me reaching out to Steven and actively investing energy in building a relationship with you like hey let's meet up let's go on a hike let's do this let's spend some time together mm -hmm. and explore this connection and though to me that those are the relationships that have grown into something deeply meaningful the kind that that it, you know feed my spirit yeah what about the the people that struggle with that the people that don't feel comfortable doing that. How do you, you know, like, cause I've softened, I've softened on that because like early on, um, you know, I used to come up with that stuff like, well, if they had some dope, you'd go talk to them and that type of nonsense. But I, you know, it's, it's real, man. Some mm -hmm. people do struggle with it, but here's it's like social anxiety, sure. and feeling comfortable and sure. like the fog is just now, you know, early on starting to lift and it's just not something that, yeah, and I try to deal with them with compassion. And if it's somebody that um, comes into my immediate center, you know, corner of the universe, I try to help them, maybe even introduce them to people, mm -hmm. encourage them. Invite them out or something. Sure, yeah. exactly. But the harsh reality is um, if they don't find a way to get past that, they're probably not going to make it, man. Mm -hmm. And that's why... It's so crucial. Like they have this thing, and I'm not knocking it. Let me be clear. Um, they have this thing in Asheville in the meetings I go to where they'll ask people if they want a phone number, a, yeah. a list with uh -huh. numbers on yeah. it, right? And But if you ask the people who have been coming around for a while, how many phone calls have they ever gotten off of that list? Because there's no human connection. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a random list of names and numbers it might as well just be letters and numbers yeah. it means nothing there's no meaning there's nothing behind it. and you know the way i was taught like it's important to be to get to a point where you're willing to come up to another man or woman and ask them for help yeah. like that's a crucial part of you know beginning the journey of recovery it's like the the vulnerability piece yeah and the letting your guard down piece understanding that these people we're all gathered here today. They're all just like me. We all we all ended up here together because of 
the same sorts of things because of whatever trauma, discomfort, things that have happened in our lives, circumstances in our life. Yeah. Brought us to this place. But it, it is a complex issue because I, I do feel like everybody's doing the best they can with mm-hmm. what they what they what they're equipped with at yeah. any given moment. And if they're not there, you know, you know, all I can do is attempt to, you know, a lot of ways lead by example, you know, let them see, you know, I, I like we talked about this before. Yeah, this show. Just what I was telling you before is that like, I mean, I just met you an hour ago, maybe, but in knowing you and talking through messenger and seeing the stuff that you post and just talking with you for an hour, like you walk with a certain demeanor, a demeanor that is number one, approachable, but number two, um, understanding, right? Comfortable, you know, like it's people see you and they want to know how you got that. Like you kind of said through the meetings, but like you see that it's a, it's, there's a certain demeanor that you carry and it's consistent, right? The dude that the same dude that messaged me over the last couple months is the same dude that walked in the room is the same dude that goes to the meeting is the same dude that works on Mountain View. It's the same cat It's consistency all the way across the board. Right. And I appreciate that. And I do try because we, you know, I do believe that, I mean, we're all carrying the message Mm -hmm. just by how we live our lives. And like you said, it's important to me that some of the people that I've been able to help, affect the most change in their lives and this is most well you know in in recovery and in 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 treatment at work have been because like you said they they've watched me like okay like you know clearly this guy's got at least something going on that i don't maybe i do need to see what this recovery process is about you know and like you kind of said i don't know if if i think it might have been before we started but like um we're addicts, right? And so we can spot bullshit. So probably like even even if they don't believe what you're doing, like if they don't even if they don't believe the authenticity behind it, they're curious because they want to they want to see yeah. if it's real or not. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and in a way, like they're like, how could this dude be this passionate about some bullshit? Yeah. There's got to be at least a sliver of something to it. Cause he's like jazzed on this shit, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, and I am dude. Like, I mean, you shoot dope for 20 years and then you find this way of life that allows you to experience things that a, you never thought possible and B things that you had written off as even being on the table for you. And, you know, I, I, you know, I want other people to have those same experiences because it's, it's definitely open to everybody, man. But it is like it goes back to the people who aren't ready to reach out and ask for help. And we just got to meet people where they're at, man. And it took me a while to get to that point because yeah. I want to be like, just do something different. And that's just not where, you know, if we if I could just decide to do something different, then I wouldn't need recovery. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. And like, I don't care what what the situation is confrontation very seldomly works regardless yeah. of yeah. what it, what's yeah. going on yeah. take the recovery or out and, of it and here's some real stuff like um it took me to do some work before i realized that i do that that self-righteousness piece because it makes me feel superior hmm. you know 
Look at like, this is how you need to be doing X, Y, and Z, you know? And it took me a while to recognize that, like, I'm clinging to that. That's just me. That's just me trying to be superior. Yeah. But at the same time, you found something that worked for you. Yeah. And so that's what you're, that's the message you were attempting to share. Mm -hmm. And coming from where we come from, we tend to, it's a process to learn how to communicate health. Oh, for sure. And like, it doesn't matter if it's recovery. It doesn't matter if it's a pathway to recovery or a diet or an exercise or a keto thing. Or People find these meditation for me. People find something that works for them and they just want to share it with everybody. Like this is yeah. the greatest thing ever. Like this instant gratification world. You guys got to do this. Like yeah. this meditation thing, this shit saved my life. Come on, Jeremy, come meditate with me, dude. Yeah. You got to do it, man. You got to yeah. do it. Yeah, no, I agree. It is, it is enthusiasm, but I had to... One of, for my own personal growth, mm-hmm. like I said, I had to recognize, recognize it. between the difference because some of it was enthusiasm, but some of it was ego too. And I and I'm grateful that you know today I can I can meet people where they're at. Some people come in. That's another one of those buzzwords that everybody uses and nobody does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Because if you're, you know, if you're telling, if you're, you know giving somebody some shit because they're, you know, you're just not willing to do anything different. You know, you're not meeting them where they're at. You know, just keep coming, man. Just keep coming. And like, I mean, if you're being, if you're authentic, if you're being authentic and being real with somebody, um, we always, they always talk about planting seeds, you know? And like, that's what, that's how I got here. That's what works for me is that my second DUI in like 2009, they sent me to weekly, uh, outpatient group group treatment to get my license back. So I went once a week to some place that I just randomly picked out of a little book in my probation office, officer's office that just happened to be close to my house so I could ride my bike there. And sure enough, I walk in and guess what? The dude's teaching meditation. And I went there once a week. I did what he said because I wanted to get my license back. There was no other interest outside of that, but I did what he said because I wanted to get my license back. And for that one hour a week, I experienced a tiny little glimpse of relief, right? Just a tiny, a tiny glimpse of it. As soon as I left, all that shit was gone. Yeah. yeah. But that once a week for an hour, it was there. I got a taste, a a tiny little taste of it. Yeah. So fast forward five or six years down the road, when shit hits the fan, what do I do? I turn back to that meditation because it worked for me five or six years before started looking up meditation and recovery. And that's how I found refuge recovery because I had had that sense of relief early on when I didn't expect it, when I didn't want it, when I wasn't there for it, it provided it for me. Here we are today. So it's hard to like, it's, it's not tangible. It's hard to measure. You can't, you can't measure it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you had to go through what you had to go through before you tap back into it. Yeah. You know, that's that's the, the journey. What's That's the million-dollar question. If any of us can figure out what's the magic words to say to somebody to make mm-hmm. them willing, there are none. How many times do people ask you that? Yeah. Every day, probably, yeah. right? Yeah, there are none. I wish yeah. I had them, you know. Um, I shot it from the mountaintop. But it's a process of, you know, becoming willing. What's um? What was the spiritual journey like for you, man? I mean, it's, 
it's it's everything man that's yeah. i mean there to me there is no recovery let's, separating recovery or life from yeah. the spiritual journey well, let's step back let's take it back to like the early days and like you mentioned like your sponsor kind of sharing stuff with you like what was the process like what type of what type of action did you take like you had him in your ear telling you like you need to turn inwards you need to investigate I was doing some reading, um, you know, some some Chopra, some Pema Chodron, just some stuff that was stirring some things up. And I remember telling him because I was working with him at the time. Uh, he has a, he had a, a home improvement business, and he had me working with him, and um, which was great for me in the very very beginning. I think I had like thirty days. I said, man, when, when I get on my eleventh step, eventually, I really want to get into meditation. He said, listen, you do not have to wait until mm -hmm. you're on your 11th step to start incorporating some prayer and meditation into your life. He said, in fact, I encourage you to not wait. If that's something you feel drawn to do, do it now. And you, you had that, that interest and appeal because of the previous readings you had done. Yeah. Or? And my previous experience in recovery. And, and this time, like I had, I, because he had me actually read the 11th step, um, out of a piece of literature, that the fellowship I belong to has, and that stirred some things in me about the spiritual journey. And I start, I was starting to wake up mm -hmm. to what it was I was doing here. I wasn't just coming here to uh, go to a bunch of meetings and go out to eat with a bunch of people and take pictures to post on social media as a group mm -hmm. and stuff like that. There was there was something deeper going on, and I was gonna if I wanted to stay and find long term recovery and some relief from this pain I was going to have to tap into, you know, I was starting to come to that realization. I didn't know how I was going to proceed, but I, but I did, have, I did believe like I knew this process worked. I've been watching these guys in, at the beach and my sponsor. So I knew there was some, some meat on the bone. And, um, he sent me to this, uh, this guy he had grown up with who, um, shout out to Maury. Um, who had a meditation practice. He taught at the center in Portsmouth, Virginia. Oh, cool. And um, he had classes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 a.m. So first of all, it took, you know, dedication to get out of bed at 6 o'clock, go practice for an hour, and then go to work. So it had, it was just doing that alone was beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. Just putting in that energy to do something different, even if, even if the meditation hadn't resonated with me as deeply as it did, there was a benefit of just getting up and open-minded going to this space. Fulfilling a commitment. But what happened was like everything changed when I started doing that. I mean, that's when my recovery definitely took a different turn. Like this whole, it was like, you know, there's some formative points in my recovery, um, doing a fist step. I mean, there's several of them. That was one of them. It, when I got like a new lens to view reality through is what it felt like, you know, and some, and a very practical tool to carry through my life. Cause early on, I'm still dealing with all this shit, this pain from my recent relapse and, you know, still carrying around some garbage I had never dealt with, even in recovery. And that was one of the reasons I couldn't stay clean for any sustainable time. And um, it gave me, you know, a very practical tool in my daily life. The breathing mm -hmm. change. It's something so simple 
just completely transformed my life. Like at any point, I can come back to the breath and take my mind off of whatever else is going on. Even if it's for a brief second, mm -hmm. I can stop breathing and it might come back, but then I can go back to the breath. Stop breathing mm -hmm. and come back and just rinse that, and repeat. That's the practice. Yeah, man. rinse and repeat. Oh. And what, what I learned was after starting to practice that for some time, it became more like it became second nature, mm -hmm. you know, to where and I do it now sometimes without even thinking about it. It's just reflex action. And, and it, it allows me to stay in that place of peace. More and it can, creates can, more space between those whatever yeah. thoughts that are coming yeah whatever it is that's bothering you it'll yeah. create more space There's, it's not as much back and forth yeah and it's usually some form of fear mm -hmm. you know it's always underlying fear. yeah fear yeah. of something yeah yeah fear of change fear of pain yeah mostly irrational mm -hmm. i think the biggest thing for me was uh, obviously that um what you just described but in doing that and like coming back to the breath and like my intention is to focus on my breath. You know, in the beginning, my intention is to focus on the breath. And so that's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm planning to do. And these thoughts are coming from nowhere. Like, and what I learned just by watching these thoughts and allowing them to pass and coming back, that back and forth that you described it gave me a clear understanding that I was not in control of my thoughts, right? Yeah. You can read it in a book, you can read it in some literature, you can read it, whatever, but to actually see it and experience it for 20 minutes on that cushion or 30 minutes on that cushion to see it was like, okay, if I'm not, if I'm not in control of these thoughts and these thoughts are just generating themselves on their own from wherever, then all of these thoughts that are telling me that I can't do this or that are telling me to go back out or telling me to do these things, it's not, mm. it, it alleviated a lot of that guilt. It alleviated a lot of that like underlying shame and um, gave me some confidence that I could do this because I wasn't in control. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. It, it was, it was relief from taking those thoughts that I wasn't in control of and, allowing them to come into my reality mm -hmm. and experience them as if they were all true, mm -hmm. you know, and it absolutely or relating to them. Yeah. Or yeah. Re reacting. Yeah. Like I don't have to react. Yeah. I can just ground myself again. Did your practice expand from simple breath work to any other types of meditation? It did. Um, I incorporated some different mantras, um, different types of prayers. Meta prayer has been big for me. Um, just consistently doing that is, I can't explain something so simple, you know, doing the cycle where you start off with yourself and you incorporate mm -hmm. different people and yeah. you end up with everyone. And, and I think a lot of that is just, uh, it helps me whether it's meditation or prayer, um, to commit to a specific, like the meta prayers, like a, the one that I do is like a six week cycle. So it's just a, it's, I'm not saying I'm going to do this for, for the rest Forever. of my life. I'm committing right now for the next six weeks. I'm going to mm -hmm. do it, you know, and then I'll revisit. Daily or someday. what? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, I've made it through a couple of times. Okay. I'd love to sit here and say that I do it every single day of my life, but I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. I, you know, um, 
when I first started the mindfulness. So Refuge Recovery, like they have all these meditations in the back of the book mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of recorded ones, various apps and stuff like that. And it's like uh, 50-50. So they have a bunch of mindfulness type practices, breath work, kind of like investigating sensations in your body, um, investigating those thoughts coming and going, just always grounding yourself with the breath. And then they also have the heart practices, which are what you described, the meta loving kindness, uh, where you're repeating that mantra in your mind, a compassion piece, and then also a forgiveness piece. And so I'm suggested to kind of like go back and forth, you know, to do a little bit of mindfulness, a little bit of heart practices, kind of back and forth. But in my early days, I was like, this mindfulness stuff, it's makes me feel good, right? It helps me relax. It calms me down. It gets me out of my head. But I don't need all that lovey-dovey shit. Yeah. Like that, I don't need, I was like, uh, don't hate me, Astro. I was like, I, I, I was like, I don't need any of that hippie shit, man. I, I don't need that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this piece helps makes helps me. This, this piece alleviates that pain. It alleviates the, the stress, um, the agitation. I don't need that other stuff. Yeah. And about a year and a half into this, um, process of recovery, and consistently doing the mindfulness stuff every day and listening to Dharma talks and doing a lot of reading, I experienced some significantly traumatic events. I experienced a significant betrayal, a major physical injury, um, kind of a, a point of desperation in recovery, you know, 18 months clean a make or break point of desperation having done this mindfulness piece for those 18 months every day i meet my immediate response was well maybe these guys are onto something if they say to do this mindfulness piece and it worked and i'm in so much fucking pain right now maybe i need to investigate this these heart practices maybe i need to look at some forgiveness for myself, for some of these betrayals. Cause I was like, I didn't really, I would always tell myself, justify to, to myself that, oh, I didn't, air quotes, I didn't harm anybody. I only hurt myself, right? Putting the blame on me, right? Yeah. There's no need for any forgiveness piece, right? Like, I don't need any of that stuff because there was no, there's no residual damage out there. You know, well, there was, you know, it's just yeah. me like avoiding it. But having gone through all that, all that pain, sorrow, despair, I was like, okay, I have, it's time to, to really commit yourself to these heart practices because the mindfulness stuff has worked. It's done much more than just keep me sober. It's taught me how to kind of live and do many of those things that you describe. Let me try some of this. And that was the monumental part of my process of recovery. Sitting there and repeating the phrases of forgiveness every single day for two or three months. Yeah. And then checking out some of the meta, some of the love and kindness. And yeah, you find out how willing you are to incorporate some of this stuff in your life when it comes time to pray for somebody that you cannot stand. Yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> for real. Yeah, it's uh, you know, but it's cathartic. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. I remember, you know, the eleventh step, man, is really what what keeps 
keeps my recovery and as in feeling like an exploration, like a really a journey. I mean, there's a lot of elements, you know, um, but that's one that stands out to me. Um, I remember uh, when I was going over my 11th step with my sponsor, my current sponsor, we're sitting in his living room. He's got this uh, canvas painting of flowers on the wall. And he said, tell me about this painting. And um, it's like three flowers. One of them's facing straight on the other off to the side. I was like, well, I'm trying to get all poetic and talk about, you know, it's asymmetrical and all this type of nonsense. And talking, you know, this this one draws your eye more than the others. And he was like, well, you're right about all that stuff. He said, but what you're describing is the content. The greater context is it's a piece of canvas wrapped around wood. <laughs> He said, and that's what the 11th step allows us to do. Like we, we, we navigate our lives and all we ever focus on most of the time is the content. We miss the greater context completely. Keep it simple. Yeah. He said with the, you know, with the practices, we can stay kind of plugged into the greater context of things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not all about me, you know, the connection with others and stay, you know, because, you know, I'd love to, I wish recovery was one of those things where I could just go through the process and be cured, but it's just not. I have to mm -hmm. consistently invest energy into staying in a healthy place or my mind state will inevitably deteriorate all the way to the point, like I'm in a pretty good place today, right? Yeah. I, I know, I've experienced it before, maybe not in quite this good a place, but I've been in good places before where I stopped taking care of myself, stopped investing energy into things that mattered, and I deteriorated all the way to the point where shooting some dope made sense. Yeah. And I, that will happen again if I stop doing the things that I need to do. You know, But the beauty of it is it's not like some sentence. It's things that I now have grown to love. So it's not a chore at all. It's become very much like the cornerstone of who I am. Recovery is just part of my lifestyle. Yeah. Or even like recovery is just a part of the situation, but the lifestyle is the spiritual practice or the spiritual relationship or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it yeah. is. And then the recovery part will come with that. Yeah. Yeah. Through the actions. Just take care of my spirit and everything else falls into place. I mean, it's... It sound I'm well aware of how cliche and cheesy it sounds, mm -hmm. but it's been my experience. Yeah, you know, I just do a few things and put in some effort. Make like I said, it's all for me. It's all about consistently investing energy into the places that it needs to go mm -hmm. in my life, and not just you know, recovery is my life, but in those different areas, my job, I have to be investing in it adequate amount of energy in my job, my personal relationships, um, my romantic relationship, all of that stuff, you know. But through, it takes maintaining a certain level of awareness to be to be able to identify where you need to step yeah. up, right? Yeah, like, and that's, oh. that's where the practice comes in. Yeah. Because without that, I, I can't. Without taking care of my spirit, I become unaware. I become, I, I, for lack of a better way to put it, I become less God-centered and more self-centered. And I don't see those things because I can't see past my nose eventually. And other people's needs don't mean shit to me. Yeah. You know, and that's why I have to stay doing those heart practices. And because my natural state, as much as I'd like to say, I'm just naturally a 
somewhat spiritual dude that's not the case it takes it takes maintenance yeah. you know and or it does deteriorate yeah, totally i wasn't yeah. i avoided that shit at all costs yeah. man because i didn't want to feel it yeah right? yeah and one thing that i had to get past is treating i i almost got to a point where i treated the practice like it was dope like it was something that could instantly change the way I feel. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm sad. I can sit down and meditate yeah. it away. And that's it's. And I had to grow in my practice to learn that it's that's not what it's yeah. about. You know, it's the consistency. Uh, my teacher talks about Noah talks about um, like the old like the wartime foxhole prayers. Like you're down in the bunker and the bombs coming or the the the. The enemies invading and they're down in their bunkers praying like no because they don't pray every single day they're only praying when they need it yeah, you know he's yeah. like you can't use your practice like that yeah it's about the consistency and sitting down allotting a, a, a certain amount of time every day and doing it and then not be not like beating yourself up if you miss a day or if you don't get to it today or whatever mm -hmm. like the long-term consistency yeah um and it at. does get a little like it does take time because for me like I had to realize that when I, because I would beat myself up, like, oh, yeah, I haven't meditated in two days. It's like, well, you're you're basically doing the opposite of meditating right now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can it, tell you have it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was just it was something that you know, and I'm still growing. I'm by yeah. no means an expert. Mm -hmm. I just know when I do these simple expressions, my life tends to be better. Do you use an app or do you no. just sit in silence on your I own use, timer? Uh, I usually play some. Uh, Tibetan meditation music okay. and uh, I like to burn Palo Santo mm -hmm. something about that smell to me is is soothing yeah so I used to like do exactly what you were talking about because we used the me and my buddies use one of the meditation apps and so it like tracks all your stats it's like the watches and shit do so it's yeah. like you got 57 days in a row you know and yeah yeah all right guys every like January 1 we're like all right dude we're gonna get one year, yeah, yeah, 365 days. You know, see, I couldn't do that because I'd be comparing with my friends who's the most yeah. spiritual. They have a I'm, social network, yeah. and so you're friends uh, with all your buddies yeah. on there. So I could go on here right now and pull yeah. up, uh, pull up where my boys are at and see how yeah. many days they are. And then I watch myself, like, I can see like all their stats. And then, so, like, my one buddy at school, Trevor, I love you, dog. He was like, yeah, man, I, I got like 15 more days and I got 365 days. And then I go on this thing and I look at it and I'm like, motherfucker, you just meditated for four minutes yesterday. Like, what do you, what do you <laughs> now you're going to claim that as 300, you know, and yeah. then I'm being judgmental, judging yeah. his ass. Well, yeah. guess what? He did it and I didn't. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, yeah. that's just how it goes. It's funny. At the end of the day, man, we're, we're all flawed human mm -hmm. beings, man. And it, the, all this stuff, like life is hard but all this stuff just makes it more man more exponentially more manageable it's mm -hmm. not no magic wand yeah not that i've found anyway but it, it just makes life better my quality of life is so much higher when i incorporate these types of things into my life and for me that's enough like i you know i don't need to understand it all the time like i'm trying to move away from that you know and I just, like I said, I know when this is a consistent part of my life, I can function on a pretty, pretty high level consistently. You notice a significant difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. And it's been a huge part of my ability to stay clean, mm -hmm. you know. The, uh, the meta stuff, you were talking about um, 
offering kindness, right? Through, through the phrases. So I guess the way that, it, you know, the way that we do it, and I'm sure it's very similar, but the way that we do it is you begin like offering yourself phrases of kindness. May, may I be at peace. May I be at ease. Um, and then you kind of begin to expand out to people who you love. Mm-hmm. Then to people who you don't really know that well. Yeah, neutral. Neutral, yeah, yeah, but you don't yeah. have harsh feelings to. And then yeah. people who you dislike, who yeah. you have put out of your heart. And you begin to offer them phrases of kindness. Yeah. What was that like in the early days? Like, did you struggle with? Well, in the early days, it was, I was still so self-absorbed. I never got past the praying for, <laughs> for I never prayed for anyone else. It was all me. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I'll get to that later. Right now, yeah. I need some peace. Yeah. You know, yeah. I need some happiness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and it and it, I was so self-absorbed that I actually like never that I never made that conscious decision. It wasn't until I look back in retrospect. I was like, damn, you selfish bastard. You spent five months straight just praying for, for yourself. yourself. <laughs> yeah. And then it was only then where like I opened up to incorporating the the others, mm-hmm. you know. As for me, like I struggled with it a lot. And again, my teacher was like another one of these silly recovery cliches, but he's like, fake it till you make it. And this is one of the only ones that I truly believe in. It's like, just offer those phrases, whether you mean it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Just continue to offer them, continue to offer them. And one of the other things that he talked about was um, for the forgiveness piece, like how could I ever, for? there's people in your life who are just like, no way in hell, right? Like this just, so he was like, make a list, three columns, make a list of the people who are easy to forgive, the people whose betrayal or whatever wasn't very significant, you know, maybe the kid in second grade that pushed you down on the playground or whatever, just easy ones. The middle column can be the people who, yeah, maybe some point, not right now, but at some point I could probably forgive them. And the far right-hand column is no fucking way. Not a chance in hell. Begin to work with that easy column first. Get through all those individuals on that list. When you get done with those individuals on that list and you do it consistently enough, what you'll see is the names begin to shift over a column. And the people that are on the maybe list, you'll find their names on the, yeah, I can do that list. And the no effing way people will be on the, eh, maybe at some point. Yeah. Shit work, dude. Yeah. Softens the heart. Yeah. Totally did, man. Totally did. Um, I noticed that you do a lot of travel. Or you've been to. traveling. Yeah, I tried lately. to. No, I have. And since, um, because I do have, um, prior to this stint in recovery, I had periods where I, you know, I stayed clean like a year. So I was able to indulge in some travel during those times. So yeah, I've been traveling a lot for the last five years. I've just now started to venture overseas, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I like to travel and go to um, go to meetings everywhere. I've been to meetings in about fifteen different states, and I, and I network there, build connections there. Um, one of my close friends, one of my closest friends now, it lives in New York City. I met him traveling, attending a recovery event, built that connection. And now he's one of the closest people that I have in my life. So um, me and my uh, fiance, 
shout out to the lovely Miss Katie Lowe. Um, <laughs> so Katie, we uh, we just went to Thailand and Cambodia. That was exciting. Um, got to propose on a beach in Thailand. I'm proud. That's where it went down. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm proud of did, that. Did she see it coming? No, no, no. Surprisingly enough, because she usually like spots my shit. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I, I'm proud of that. I, I joked with all my friends. I was like, y'all, from moving forward, every one of y'all are proposing in my shadow. Good luck. <laughs> good luck topping that one. It's all in good fun, though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just joking, mostly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I enjoy traveling. It's, you know. Was that always been something that was important to you, though? Or is it, it just. I've always wanted to. I, it, it, interestingly enough, I um, I tell this sometimes when I share my story. I remember like not long before I found recovery, I've always been a voracious reader. I was in a grocery store. I picked up this National Geographic book, 100 Greatest Journeys, 100 Great Adventures. And I went home and read it. And I remember reading it in a very sad but accepting way. I remember th- thinking that like, man, this sucks. This is just the type of thing that I'm just never going to be able to experience because of the choices I've made in my life. I've kind of just closed myself off to these these experiences. And um, one of them was Thailand, which I just went. And ironically enough, one of them was driving through the mountains of Western North Carolina in the fall. Oh, shit. So now I live here. So that's pretty, to me, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's something I always wanted to do. I just was never open to it. I mean, I never had resources. I mean, you talked earlier about being a... I can't sustain anything when I'm using. Like, I burn everything to the ground. Yeah. Like, I nothing. I mean, so, of course, I never had resources to travel. But, um, yeah, I've been a lot of places in the last couple of years. New York a couple of times, Baltimore a couple of times, Florida... All over Virginia, like a Thailand, Cambodia. We're getting ready to go to Spain and Morocco. That's exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, and everywhere I go, I make meetings. And I and I. What, what were meetings in Thailand like? It was cool. Um, it was actually wasn't what I expected. It was actually no, not one Thai person all, in the uh, meeting. Americans? No, it was uh, all Europe. I think there might have been a couple of Americans. There were mostly Europeans. There was a lot of Swedes there. Yeah. And I remember the meeting was on surrender. It was a great meeting. This one guy had actually relapsed while he was there. On vacation? And, yeah, and he was just like running rampant. And his girl was there, and she was still clean. And it was just, yeah, it was it was a great meeting. And um, I actually took some T-shirts and uh, gave them away. And, you know, I got a, I got a white key tag from them. Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to have one. A momentum keepsake from yeah, Thailand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Just to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, and I, I mean, I like to go to meetings all over because they do, you know, they're different everywhere and yeah. the people are different and I build relationships. Like I have numbers in my phone from people in Portland and New York and New Jersey and Baltimore you know, and I call these people randomly just to make those connections. Yeah, I just, I'm going to keep circling back to like, I don't give a fuck how humble that you try to stay. Like the average person that I meet isn't doing that, <laughs> right? Like it's just not, isn't, it isn't as much of a priority to so many people, right? Like you, un, you truly understand the value in cultivating those relationships, right? You truly do. Yeah. To the point where you're traveling around the world and going and finding a meeting 
and getting to know the people there is a is a priority to you. Yeah, Katie and I cultivated some connections with people in Thailand, but we're yeah. still friends with on social media and we communicate with and it is important. I mean that it feeds my spirit, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's I, it pays such dividends like it, it's what makes life an adventure. You know, I'm passionate about people like what's going on with this person and what new relationship is going to pop up in my life to add more layers of meaning to the ones that are already there. You know, how is, or is this relationship going to continue to flourish, you know, as I invest energy into it and we navigate life together through, you know, new challenges and new adventures. You know, mm -hmm. I have friends now, I mean, Friendships change, relationships change and evolve. And that's why the ones that that are deeply meaningful to me, like I I make I carve out time. Like I don't I'm uncompromising in that shit. I mean, there there's some times where realistically very small periods of time go by where life just isn't it's not conducive to necessarily be socializing a lot but they're you know the ones the relationships that, that mean the most to me i make sure and carve out time for period mm -hmm. just like self-care like i'm uncompromising like i'm not that's not something i'm willing to sacrifice for anything for anybody you know i'm gonna take care of myself because it's the only thing that keeps me functioning at a high level outside of spiritual practice what does self-care look like um, this year it's, it's changed a little bit. It's, um, I focused more on taking care of myself physically. I've been able to get a gym routine going oh, nice. back, um, eating a lot better, doing the intermittent fasting. I feel great. Um, I quit smoking. So I've been able to do some things to take care of myself physically and, um, you know, mentally, I, I read a lot when I can and, Hiking, I do a tremendous amount of hiking. Travel is a big one. It's a big one. It's, and you know, life doesn't, isn't going to show up on my door knocking, asking me to come participate. You know, if there's things, people tell me all the time, they're like, oh man, you're always doing cool stuff. You're always going to these cool places. I'm like, I don't have a monopoly on purchasing airplane yeah. tickets. Like you can just log online, get book some it in advance, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and go like, out. Like yeah. I don't have a, a, a lot of money. Like yeah. seriously, I yeah. don't. You you might see where as much travel and stuff that I do and think that I do, but I really don't. I just know how to travel on a budget, and, and it circles back around the connections. A lot of these places I go, I go to New York City pretty regularly. I'm getting ready to go again. Have a close friend there, so I have a free place to stay mm -hmm. when I go there. So it's just. <laughs> You know, and not that when I started cultivating the relationship with him, I was like, awesome. I'm going to get his room. Yeah, I get a free place <laughs> to stay in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. That's just a byproduct of it, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, travel's a big part of self-care. And um, solitude has become a part of self-care for me. Not isolation, but carving out some time for me, man. Just going on a walk, listening to some music. Like, I, I've, I've learned that I need a little... A little bit of solitude, you yeah. know. Tell me about the intermittent fasting. What kind, uh, what kind of results have you? Um, I've lost like twelve pounds in a few weeks. Yeah, I eat for eight hours Did and 16, off for eight. sixteen. Yeah. yeah, I feel great though. Yeah. Like that's more important. Of course, I want to lose a few pounds, but uh, I feel phenomenal. 
Yeah. Like I don't feel sluggish. It's yeah, it's great. It's yeah. great. Are you what are you doing? Like cutting it off at like seven o'clock at night? No, I I do um either I do nine to five or eight to four. So you cut it off at five or four? Yeah. You go to bed early though? Not too uh, much? Well, I've no, not really, because I work second shift a lot at Mountain Fuck, View. I couldn't do that, dude. Well, the secret is drinking water. What's going on over here? I don't know, one of your fans yeah. is about to bust in here and look look for an autograph. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Plot We're twist. taking selfies after yeah. the show, people. Plot twist. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Yeah. I guess um, we're about to find out. She's coming through. She's got a whole bunch of keys. Hey. Oh, okay. Oh, picture? Okay. No problem. Um, yeah, so I guess I would have wanted to ask you about if you are concerned at all with, I've asked, I've asked multiple people who work in the field um, this question when they come on, but what I wanted to know is if you were, have any concern at all in regards to the direction or the future of the treatment industry in Asheville. Considering like what has happened over the last five or six years, I have no idea who that was. Yeah. That's all right though. <laughs> it might be like a comfort in corporate somebody. I don't know. Shout out to whoever just walked in and snapped some and, photos. And took our picture. Yeah. yeah. It made me feel kind of important actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, VIP baby. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm no expert in the treatment industry. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, like, but I also, I'm not an expert in airplanes, but if I look out the window and I see one in a tree, I know it's not right. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it seems to me like the ship's starting to right itself a little bit. We talked about that earlier, man. The, you know, some of the shit that's going on, like, you know, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I believe in life in general. Like, the universe isn't always just. Things aren't always fair. But for the most part, you can't do slimy shit and not experience consequences behind it eventually i mean it does happen for sure but i've you know i've some of the and again of course i'm not the type that's ever going to name drop or any of that type of stuff but some of the you know some of the grimiest people that i've known in Asheville, you know are reaping experience are reaping consequences right now yeah you know and it's you know i'd like to say that it's sad to watch but it's not really um i mean it's you know, they've created it, the mm -hmm. situation that they're in. And it is troubling. Um, it really surprised me because, like I say, when I got here, I come from a place there isn't treatment centers and halfway houses. Like, I mean, in Virginia Beach, unless it's changed, I got Oxford. That's it. Yeah, That's it. Here, you know, like I said, every rich kid with nine months has a halfway house, you know, pick up a year we'll buy you another one i mean it's really crazy um and the thing here is like people in recovery and you know this i'm again i'm no expert i'm just drawing on my very limited experience people in recovery it almost cheapens the industry because they think that when they get nine months or a year clean that they're qualified to go work in treatment oh that sounds cool i get paid to go hang out with some addicts that's not what it is, you know. So the a lot of these places are hiring people that just aren't qualified. Yeah. You know, they don't understand boundaries in their own lives. 
How are you going to put them in this environment and expect them to hold space for people and to maintain boundaries? You know, and and that's but that's like the not even the the worst offenses that are, that are happening. Like you got people, you know, it is troubling. You got people buying kids insurance policies. You got people paying kids to go to treatment out of state, you know? And, and the thing is like, they don't even try to hide it. I mean, it's not like I'm up here talking about something that's super secret. Everybody knows these kids are coming back telling everybody. Yeah. Oh, sweet. X, A, B, and C paid me X amount of money to go to treatment. You know, I'm gonna get high for a little bit and go back. And, you know, but it is what it is. I think that there's a lot of people in Asheville. When I first got here and I didn't, most of my exposure to was to like lower level. I don't know if lower level is the correct phrase, like but entry level, but yeah, more entry level um, treatment, like, like, like halfway houses and things of that nature. That was most of my exposure. And then not even to the, the solid programs that are around. So it seemed like everybody was corrupt. But the more people that I've gotten to know, and as I've gotten to know people that are higher up on the treatment chain, you know, higher levels of care and higher qualities of, excuse me, facility, you know, overwhelmingly there's some phenomenal treatment providers in Asheville, like I can name, I mean, there's some of the best programs in the state yeah. in Asheville. So I think the ship will ride itself. I yeah. really do. I think the people that are unsavory are going to come in and create some havoc. The, the truly tragic part about it is like parents from out of state, they don't know who's who. They're sending their kid into meat grinder a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But they think, you know, they're desperate. They're willing to pay. They're sending their kid into these environments that are not conducive for them staying clean at all. And yeah. it's sad, you know, because there's going to be some harm caused by some of these programs, these people that just, you know, have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not pretending that I know what I'm doing. You don't doing. have the answers. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Well, like I said, I can look outside and see an airplane in the tree. I know it's not right. You know, I don't know how to fly it out of the tree, yeah. but... And, and I guess that was my follow-up question is that like I totally am of the understanding like you that like things tend to work themselves out right and yeah. that the you know those individuals who are uh, operating unethically will you know the wheels will come off on their own without yeah. you know, any type of influence it's just we're talking about people's lives here yeah like the, the mother from Omaha Nebraska who calls up and puts their kid on a flight the next day, yeah. never makes it home. Yeah. Um, so like, are there, is there, uh, is there missing pieces to this puzzle? Is there, do we need like regulation? Is there something that like the community can do? I mean, I, theoretically, would it be nice for there to be some kind of, um, like governing law agency? enforcement yeah. agency that mm -hmm. could swoop in and shut the doors of places, but there's so many variables It's complex. And a lot of the stuff that's happening is being done in loopholes to where it's not technically illegal. And it's, it's just, there's a lot of different shades of gray, but yeah, theoretically would it be nice for, you know, to have some law enforcement agencies show up and shut down every place that's, you know, 
patient brokering? Absolutely. You know, and eventually I think the more um, blatant offenders are going to be shut down. But, you know, and a lot of them, to be fair, I don't think a lot. Some of them for sure. Some of them is just greed and they just don't give a shit. A lot of it, I don't think there's any malice in it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think some kid with a year clean thinks he's doing harm by opening a halfway house. I really don't, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, is it really benefiting the people that stay there? And who knows? It might. Some, somebody might. Sure. Mm -hmm. so who am I to say? You know, I just I just know um, for every person that goes somewhere that's not qualified to treat them or its environment that's not conducive to, for them to heal, you know, that's one person that could be somewhere with qualified people. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a couple times people in early recovery working in these types of environments. Um, how prioritizing recovery and working in the field and that sort of thing, like how do you find that healthy balance to like keep your well, recovery? Well, I do want to say there are, you know, there, there's some, you know, and like I said, I don't have a whole lot of time. Yeah. So, um, but you know, there's some people in early recovery that are rock stars mm -hmm. at treatment because they do get that balance. Again, it goes back to being uncompromising, like whether, and it's not even, I, I'm taking care of myself first and foremost. I don't care what else happens. You know, I, I just, I don't and call, and I am very selfish and rigid in that area. Like there's certain things and there is some, some give like life shows up and it's not going to line up every single day to where I can indulge in whatever form of self care. I feel like that's mm -hmm. just not realistic, but I am going to do at least the minimum. I don't care. What else? What that? What that looks like? What else has to be moved off of the board? That's going to happen, and it's particularly working in treatment because I, if I'm showing up, not only for my own best interest but for the best interest of the clients, I need to be giving whatever I have available to give from a place of abundance. Mm -hmm. If I'm giving in a way that leaves me in a deficit, it's not helping me and it's not helping them because, like we were talking about. You know, it's not genuine and it's not coming from a place of of passion and they, they it, it doesn't resonate with them. That's been my my limited experience dealing with. Them. Yeah. And you've you been know. on the other end of that. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. To be able to spot the bullshit. Yeah. A away. And because if I take care of myself at a high level, they can see the light typically stays in my eyes. You know, that's what they respond to. You know, I can talk as slick as I want and sound say these profound quotes, but if I'm just not there, I'm not, you know, I'm in my head, I'm dealing with my own shit, like, they're not listening to me. I'm just another, you know, just another guy. Another dude trying to sell something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly how they're going to react. Like, I got something for sale. You know, if I come to them and place abundant, it's, I don't even have to pretend that I'm selling anything because it, then it becomes the kind of thing that sells itself, you know, and they're just like, whoa. What's I think that also just goes back to your character and the way that you carry yourself consistently. You know, they can spot it. They can see it. Yeah, I try to. And it's funny because they do say that. It's consistent. Yeah, dude. I try, man. That's, you know, I try. And that's why I'm uncompromising about taking care of myself. Because it, I'm not afraid of what happens if I don't. I just know that it's a simple equation. It, when I do, when I, I, ha, I do have a minimum amount, I typically don't get 
near the minimum amount, but I know about what that looks like. And if I do at least that minimum amount, my quality of life's pretty high. My ability to deal with life and navigate challenges is pretty consistent. If I get below that, it deteriorates pretty rapidly at that point. And then I'm not showing up for anything and anybody. And if I let that trajectory continue, I'm going to eventually end up high again. You know, I'm, I'm convinced I've done it before. You know, there's nothing, there's few things that have been more humbling in my recovery than being in a really good place and having myself deteriorate in a matter of a couple months all the way to a place where literally in my mind, shooting dope seemed like a viable option. Yeah, that really gave me some insight into the disease I'm dealing with. Yeah. You know? When's the wedding? October 6th. Right around the corner? It is. Dang, it, where's it, it at? Is. It's at a place in Weaverville called um, Junebug Retro Resort. Not familiar. It's got a bunch of um, 50s Airstreams. Oh, cool. Vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A whole I think bunch it's a, of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. The guy, um, I was talking to um, one of my friends who uh, was in the real estate in Weaverville. He said the guy bought it for something else. And he ended up not being able to implement what his original plans were. And he just like called an audible and built this amazing wow. venue. I'm like, this cat is brilliant. Yeah. Like talk about, you know, being versatile. Like he just completely changed direction. And it's, it's beautiful out there. Yeah. And, you know, of course my fiance found it. She's quarterback in this whole thing. You're just along for the ride. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> smart I'm, man. Yeah. Just show up. Smart man. Just show up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, question, man. So, one of the things that fascinates me, um, seeing as that you're, you have this very clear understanding of both how to and the importance of cultivating these authentic relationships. One of the things that's like I am kind of focused on and one of the things that I'm like trying to wrap my head around is this social media tech, tech evolution that we're in the midst of and trying to figure out how we can use these tools, these online web-based tools to cultivate those types of authentic relationships as opposed to the way that we're currently using them today in unhealthy ways. Okay. So I guess just number one is like, no, I don't need. I don't know if I needed the answer to that, but is it? Do you do you think that it's possible? That would have been my answer. No, I don't. Okay. To a certain extent, because it's not genuine human interaction. Yeah. 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 You know, and that's that's I think is part of. You know, and like I said, I don't want to come across like I, I think that I have some insight into social media, but I think that's part of the problem is an over reliance mm -hmm. on that type of outlet yeah. to nurture and cultivate those deep meaningful relationships because i don't feel i can't i'm unable sure it serves a purpose absolutely i'm not bashing social media i enjoy it mm -hmm. i really do and it does maintain a certain level of connections but at the end of the day it's not genuine human interaction yeah. Yeah. it's very i mean even in the exchanges like if me and you messaging back and forth I mean, we have time to formulate what we're going to say. When you, when, when you message me, I have time to think of something clever 
to respond mm-hmm. and make myself sound insightful. And you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, uh-huh. it's not me being, uh, and I don't do it on purpose and it's not, you know, but uh, it's not genuine. It's not like you sitting here. It's not, we're looking at each other right now. Mm-hmm. Like our energies are in the same room. We're sharing this space, this experience. I just don't think that it'll ever on that platform, it'll ever rise to that level. Yeah. I do think it, it, it plays, it can play a role for sure. But I don't think anything will ever replace like what we're we're doing now. My concern is just that like this form of communicating and it's it's inevitable that that is going to be like taking over our lives or taking over the world. You know, like that's it's 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 going that direction. Right. So I'm trying to like get on the front side of it and like figure out a way that we can use it as a truly use it as a tool. This is something that I contemplate a lot and yeah. think about a lot. And well, one thing we can do is like what you're doing. You get, yeah. I mean, you know, start a dialogue about it. Yeah. Get people thinking. Yeah. Like, hey, am I really cultivating connection in my life by sitting in my room for six hours scrolling on social media? I might have just been exposed to. 300 people I know, but how many of them were meaningful interactions? Mm-hmm. Just starting that dialogue, like what yeah. you're doing right now, I think is, you know, because that's what it was for me. Somebody talking about that, you know, for me, it was someone talking about being aware of where my energy investment mm-hmm. is going on a daily basis. And it doesn't always go to things that are probably in my best interest. And sometimes I will sit and scroll mindlessly for hours Mm -hmm. on end when I have things to do, or I could be doing things that are more healthy for me. I do it just as often. And I justify it that it's, it's related to this business and the thing that I'm trying to, trying to get off the ground, which is totally a lie to myself. My, my my lie is, uh, I have a lot of friends out of state, so I have to keep up with that. That's my delusion. Um, yeah, there's um, you know, I'm not I'm not completely knowledgeable on this, but I have noticed a couple of areas, a couple of communities that kind of are, have been able to build these types of relationships um, online. And it's, it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about, like when we find something that's we're passionate about that worked for us, we want to like share it out with everybody. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed traditionally the groups of traditionally it's small groups of women, but they're like pitching stuff. They're selling like the keto diet or mm-hmm. they're selling jewelry or whatever it is. And um, yeah, they're trying to make money and it's people call them like pyramid schemes and this and that. But I, I've, watched a few of my friends who like get involved in these things and yeah they're pitching stuff all the time they're trying to sell stuff to like people like me and you who are on the outside of this uh little community but their friends that they make with this community they go on trips together they have these meetups and conventions like and i i haven't talked to anybody about it but i see like a sense of uh, almost an authentic connection almost like a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood like these bonds that are created from two different people who are doing this keto diet yeah, yeah and they're trying to pitch it to their other friends but they're working together as a community online 
exercising every day, checking in with each other on these video chats and are really like bonding together to, and creating that sort of connection. Um, I think it's inevitable that this thing is going to going to continue to consume us more and more, right? 10 years from now, you'll have some Google glasses on your face and I'll be talking to you and you can like Google the answers or whatever, you know, like we can, it's just, it's, it's unavoidable. And so like, I think that the way that, the way that we humans have evolved is that like, it takes us a long time to learn and figure these things out, right? Like the technology is growing faster than we can learn. So we don't know how to use it to our the best of our ability. We do not know how to use it to communicate in a healthy way. But there has to be a way to do it. And I don't I don't know what the answer is, but it's just something that it's something that I'm fascinated about. It's part of why I do this podcast. It's part of why I want to grow this podcast into like a network of podcasts. I want to have five to ten different shows. All these awesome people who I who I've met from doing this, I have all this phenomenal equipment. I want to give you guys shows, you know, I want to have a genre, different 10 or five or 10 different genres, a women's show, a LGBTQ show, whatever, whoever wants a show, I want to give them that so that they can begin that kind of process of using this technology so that they can be like we talked about with you being that person who um, consistently carries that demeanor they can begin to use this as a tool and begin to share their thoughts and their views and experiences with the rest of the world in a way and I don't know just something that just something that I think about so I ask a lot of people like because I'm interested in it I know I can't figure it out on my own so I ask my people like what what do you think about it yeah I mean I think it could be a bridge mm -hmm. you know for sure but I and again, you know, what do I know? Like I said, it's hard to conceptualize, you know, something like that. It is. But it, to me, like, this is where it's at, yeah. dude. Like, this is where it's at. And who knows if this is the only, you know, arena where it can take place. But it's the only one I've, I've found. Yeah. But who knows? As things progress and, you know, new avenues open up, I mean, you know, it's certainly possible. I'm yeah. I don't. I try not to deal in absolutes. You're open to all possibilities. Yeah, yeah. I try not to deal in absolutes. So. You said you're not a man of goals, man. What's next? Um, I don't know. What's I, on your radar? How how how? What's on your radar to continue to challenge yourself to grow and step out of your comfort zone? Like, what have you done? Any meditation retreats? Have you done like a ten day retreat? Or I have not. I is that not. something on it's your radar? It's not really. No? Uh, maybe it's not really conducive with my work. That's what everybody says, though. Um, yeah, no, it's it's true. The man can fly to Thailand, but he yeah, can't go there. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> I know, I know. yeah, it, it, I have to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. I have to pick and choose. Um, I don't know. I, like I said, I got the new job at Mountain View. I'm enjoying that, growing in that capacity. Um, I am, like I said, working on my CSAC. Uh, I've been able to, under supervision, get my feet wet, doing a little bit of counseling. Mm -hmm. That's... I really like that. I like sitting down. What I found, you know, we talked about Joseph Campbell before and follow your bliss. I, you know, right now, 
the way that it, my spirit's telling me I can find that is is interacting with you know broken souls, man. Sitting down, and what I've found is you know I do all right, you know, at stirring something inside of them, you know, and that's my passion watching somebody, the light come on, even if it's like what you talked about earlier, just that brief instance, you know, and just coming up and learning new ways to kind of ignite that spark for them to say, wow, maybe I can find some relief from this pain I've been existing in for years, you know, and that's, you know, I want to move towards doing that, you know, and being better at it. So whatever that looks like, like I said, I usually have a, I pick a general direction and I head that way because typically it unfolds a very different way. But yeah. right now that's the direction I'm, I'm, I'm walking and marriage. So that's, that's going to be a new one for me. Never married. No. Made no. it through. Yeah, absolutely yeah, not. Too, man. Never too. married. Never <laughs> married. And I'm glad. I'm glad. It's, um, but you know, she, she's in recovery too. You know, she takes, she's uncompromising as I am with taking care of herself. Like we make sure we, you know, we're not that codependent recovery couple that sits together at meetings, holding hands and that type of nonsense. Like, you know, we typically don't go to meetings together. Like we keep our stuff separate, you know, and it just works for us. Yeah. It's the best way to go. Yeah, for sure. Definitely the best way to go. For sure. It was cool because it was like this unspoken agreement between yeah. us and we've just it's just what we've done. It's worked. Yeah. So Well listen, brother. I appreciate you coming over. Yeah, man. I appreciate the invite. You're a badass. I would enjoy doing it again sometime down the road too. In yeah. The future. So. Yeah, it was good to finally meet you, man. You too, bro. I appreciate what you're doing out here, man. Yeah. Um I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. For sure, bro. Thanks again, man. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a very special thank you to the Comfort Inn of Silver, North Carolina for providing our recording space each and every week. They are a uh, recovery ally and they support community-based organizations like NC Raw. They're located at 1235 East Main Street in Silver, North Carolina, and they're also a part of the Choice Hotels chain. So you can check them out at choicehealthtales.com. If you're traveling the area, pop in. Thank them for supporting us. Book a room. It's a beautiful, beautiful time of year to visit the mountains of Western North Carolina. I cannot thank them enough for the level of support that they have provided. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch up with you next week.